This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. We are a show that hopes our life expectancy even approaches the number of points SMU scored yesterday. Yeah, for like, real. <laughs> uh, like I mentioned, I am your host, Ishmael Johnson, the assistant managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Of course, talking with me as usual on the other line is Mike Craven. Mike, have you caught your breath yet? I've caught my breath a little bit. That was a good opener. I have done some things to my body that makes me believe I will not make it to 70. Well, let's hope, let's hope, let's hope, let's hope at least. Um, we'll get, we'll look, we hinted at that game. We'll get to it later. You know, that, that will kick, we'll basically, I'll spoil it. We're going to kick off the wide zone with that game. We'll spend a lot of time probably talking about everything in that game. Uh, probably spend most of the time we, uh, most of the time we do during the wide zone talking about that game specifically, but I do want to talk about some of our, uh, the games of the week that we had, because there were a lot more probably consequential games in respective conference races across the state, things like that. Um, yeah, let's just get right into it, man. Uh, TCU 34, Texas tech 24. You were on hand for this one, I believe. Yes. Yep. And so, okay. So I, from my vantage point, this looked like a game that Tech scouted very well because defensively, I thought they gave T- TCU one of their toughest matchups. Like that offensive line was really struggling to protect, protect Max Duggan. Um, in the end, though, I think this came down to a couple of field position plays, TCU taking advantage of them, cashing in on some, you know, we know Tech loves to be aggressive on fourth down, cashing in on some aggressive decisions there. And TCU pulling away because it wasn't the cleanest game for Max Duggan, right? He was under distress. It looked like TCU was kind of trying to game plan away from Tyree Wilson a lot of the time. Um, you know, what did you kind of see out there? Yeah, sorry, my microphone's not hooked up. Is the sound okay? Yeah, sounds fine. Okay. Um, I don't know why it's not. It's plugged in. I don't know why it's not going. Um so yeah, you know, TCU didn't score a, you know, offensive touchdown until the fourth quarter. You know, their yeah. only touchdown early on was that that punt return after the first series for Texas Tech. I thought the Texas Tech defense played really well. And to your point, that's a better matchup for them. They're, the TCU offensive line is not as good at pass blocking as or as at run blocking as they are at pass blocking. The receivers on the outside for TCU are bigger, and mm-hmm. that that suits Texas Tech's cornerbacks a little bit more. They were worried about the matchup with Baylor because those are smaller, quicker guys, and, and Texas Tech's corners are bigger. Quentin Johnston didn't play much for yeah, TCU. He only played on that point. first series, and that changed a lot. They just couldn't go vertically as much. It allowed Texas Tech to get more guys in the box, that really, really focus on the run game. Tyree Wilson, the former Texas A&M defensive lineman, you know, I, I think he's the front runner for defensive player of the year in the state. He's it's he's that disruptive. He's going to be a top 20, top 25 uh, pick in the draft. He'll definitely be a first-round draft pick just with his 
his height, his his length, and his athleticism. And the game really changed on that last drive of the third quarter, first drive of the fourth quarter. It kind of blended over. But TCU got their first touchdown offensively of the of the game in that drive. But 45 of the 60 yards TCU gained on that drive and three of the four first downs were on penalties. Mm-hmm. There was a weird face mask penalty on Tyree Wilson when he got a sack that they said he he grabbed a face mask, although it looked like he just kind of glanced past it. And right, that like he like put his hand on the face mask kind yeah, of thing. And that, yeah, and that kind of gave TCU a first down and some momentum where they were going about to punt. Then there was a horse collar call on the sideline of TCUs that had that happen on Texas Tech sideline. There's no way that gets called. That's one mm-hmm. of those the head coach is yelling at me right next to me, so I'm going to call the penalty. <laughs> right. And there needs to be a study done on those late hits, horse collar, like penalties on the sidelines, how much they're called on teams that are, you know, on the sideline versus on teams that are on the opposing sidelines. And then there was a weird pass interference call in the end zone that gave TCU uh, the ball on like the two yard line. So, and then they score a touchdown. They take a 20 to 17 lead. Now Texas Tech's chasing the game. They go for it on fourth down in their own possession. They don't get it. TCU scores. They do that again. TCU scores. And all of a sudden it looks like a blowout. Um, so for TCU, you know, it's just one in advance, right? Like they don't yeah. need style points. If they go undefeated, they're in the college football playoff. If they lose a single game, they're not. And so it doesn't matter how they play, how well they play, how bad they play. They just need to win. They're 8-0. They're moving on to the Texas game. Uh, that'll be a big one for their resume. If you're Texas Tech, you've lost four out of your last five. Mm-hmm. You started three different quarterbacks this year. The offensive line is in shambles. I don't understand the play calling in the second half. I just don't. You know, mm-hmm. anybody who's listened to Republic of Football for over a year knows we're Zach Kitley fanboys. Yep. But I do not understand how you abandon the running game in the second half when you're winning for most of it and only down by one possession for the other parts of it. They ran the ball 22 times out of 33 plays in the first half. That basically flipped in the second half. Tyler Shuck threw the ball way more than Baron mm-hmm. Morton. It was almost as if Tyler Shuck came into the game and then they trusted their quarterback more. And I'm not saying that Tyler Shuck is a bad quarterback, but that offensive line isn't good enough to just drop back pass against anybody. TCU is not a sack heavy team. They're one of the worst sack teams in the state. They had four sacks yesterday because the Texas Tech offensive line is atrocious. Mm-hmm. And so I just, for me, it feels like an opportunity lost for Texas Tech. They had a much better game plan. It felt like they matched up much better with TCU than they did a week before against Baylor. Uh, but some unfortunate calls that went against them on the road, coupled with some you know questionable play calling in the second half and, and a lack of explosiveness in the passing game. Uh, they just couldn't get any points, and it's a shame because the defense played well enough to win. The offense just couldn't score enough points to create the distance to make TCU really worried. Yeah, I think you look at you look at the run game, and they're averaging about rough, over four and a half yards a carry, basically between Serato Thompson and Taj Brooks. Like Taj Brooks finished with five carries, fifty nine yards. Serato Thompson eight carries, forty six yards. But that's eighteen carries between two really good running backs. You mentioned in a game where you were never really out of until you had to chase the game really late. And so, yeah, I agree. That was kind of maddening a bit. Um, I wonder if they just—I don't know if they. I don't know. I wonder if there was maybe a sense of urgency. I don't know if there was, or maybe like a sense of like kind of like time was running out to maybe take advantage of TCU's slow start on offense. And like, maybe you just felt like you just had to kind of hit something big or hit something, you know, deep and, and try to put like a nail in a coffin or something. I don't know, but I agree. It was kind of just overall frustrating to watch because you saw a team that was right in it 
we mentioned how, you know, we talked about TCU's offensive line all year. Like, yeah, you mentioned that they're not the best in uh, they're better in running run blocking and pass block than pass blocking, but still Max Duggan looked very un- probably the most uncomfortable he's looked all season, you know, um, 20 of 20, uh, 12 of 23, 195 yards. But like you mentioned, they don't need style points, right? We saw later in the day, we saw Tennessee lose. We saw uh, Alabama lose again. So like, you know, they're going to, things are going to work out if they just went out. Um, so like that college football playoff ranking is going to just kind of sort itself out for them. Uh, so it's really not going to be an issue of how they're winning as opposed to just the fact that they are. All right, let's see. Moving on to Texas 34, Kansas State 27. Texas tried to Texas this one away in the second half. Uh, they scored three points in the second half after going up 31 to 10 at the half. Um, once again, first half, awesome stuff. Quinn Ewers was dealing. Um, it looked really, really good. And then I don't know what happened. They were defensively, they started to have a little more cracks, but you kind of expected that with Kansas State having some halftime adjustments, things like that. Um, offensively, again, Man, this team just stalled. They just decide. I have no idea. Luckily, they have Keandre Coburn, who decided he wants to make back-to-back <laughs> massive plays. Or I don't know if he forced the first one, but obviously he forced the second one, recovered it, and uh, put this game on ice because that one felt like Kansas State was going <laughs> to go up and take the lead uh, in that final drive. Um, now Texas is now one of three teams in the Big 12 hunt, at least for uh, aside from TCU, I mean, um, in the Big 12 title hunt. They have TCU coming up. You know, Craven, what were your thoughts on this game and, and Texas pulling out a game they really, really needed to? Yeah, it's been kind of amazing, the second half offensive deficiencies for this team. And there are three losses this year. They scored nine points in the second half against Alabama, 10 points in the second half against Texas Tech, three points in the second half, against Oklahoma State. And they almost did it again, as you mentioned. In the 10 losses in Sark's tenure, they're minus 79 in the second half after being minus one in the first half. You know, so it it is clearly a second-half problem for Texas. They almost did it yesterday. Luckily, the defense was able to come up with a few stops. That was the only difference because the offense wasn't going to score. It was shocking how quickly it could run out and if the defense could come up with a play or two. Jalen Ford, Keandre Coburn, were excellent yesterday. Jalen Ford's been insanely good. He's been the breakout player of this defense Murray, easily. My my biggest question mark for Texas's defense going into the season was pass rush, and second was who's going to play linebacker next to DeMarvion Overshone because that spot had been bad for a couple of years. Ford's been excellent. That's made the defense better. Um, you know, Deuce Vaughn only had 3.8 yards of carry. His long run was 11. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. That's that's impressive to do for Deuce Vaughn. If you just look at his last 10 or 11 carries, it was under three. So Texas did a good job running the football. Um, they relied on Bajon Robinson, conversely, to run the football. He had 30 carries, 209 yards, and a touchdown. Also c- caught two passes. That's where he needs to be. Like, mm-hmm. I know we're past the whole, like, run the ball 30 times to one running back type deal. I, I know that seems outdated. But you have the best running back in college football for three more games. That's it. And then he's gone. Mm-hmm. Run him and then run him some more and then keep running him. I, I loved the play calling distribution for Sark. It was more run than pass. Um, they only threw the ball 31 times. They ran the ball 40. That's that's more what I want to see um, from the Texas offense. And then also that offensive line that got two true freshmen playing and a couple other underclassmen playing. Kelvin Banks looks stellar. 
Kelvin Banks is a future top five, top 10 draft pick in the NFL. He's excellent. Cole Hudson has been good at right guard. Christian Jones has been solid at right tackle. They're playing really, really good football the last couple of weeks. Here's where we get to, though, right? Texas passes another test. They did the Mm four-quarter thing against Oklahoma. They did the dogfight thing against Iowa State. Now they go win a game on the road. College game day is going to be in town to see TCU next week. Expectations are starting to pick back up for UT. And over the last 12 years, that's when the bottom has fallen out. Mm-hmm. We will see how Texas can handle that those expectations. Uh, but so far, so good. A huge win for Texas. I would argue their biggest win of Sark's tenure so far. Uh, and maybe it's the thing that that locker room needs to turn the corner and start believing. Because talent for talent-wise, Texas is the best team in this conference. Yeah. It's the mentality that's been lacking. Maybe this win kind of unlocks that mentality and shows that locker room, hey, we're good enough to beat all of these teams in this conference, no matter where we play. We just got to play our football game. Still concerned about the second half offense, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll talk more about the game on Wednesday with TCU, but a little a little hint. I I do think this is like the perfect foil to like this is like a nice final boss, right? And this one, it might not be the last time that these two teams play, but. Like you have an offense and an offensive mind on the other side that can, I'm not saying scheme with Sark, but like very much Sark has to game plan for, or that defense is going to have to game plan for. Um, you have a quarterback who we know can make plays. We have a backfield who we know can can gash a, a front seven. We have, you know, depending on the Quentin Johnson, we have we have wide receivers. You know, we have a defense that can really get to, get to the quarterback and make plays. Like, I think it's the perfect foil and like a nice final boss for what they're kind of building here. We'll get more into that on Wednesday, though. Um, but I agree. I think that second half, you know, similar to TCU, right? It's it's you're not trying to win style points here, right? It you the fact that you just pulled it out, right? Okay, if you have an issue with the offense and the play calling and the consistency in the second half, okay, yeah, then you're going to need that defense to maybe have a player too, right? And that's what exactly what it's exactly what happened. Um, and I, I completely agree with you on the play calling with Bijan Robinson, especially if you're a team that can go up 31 to 10, right? If if you're a team that can need that can that can get up early, okay, yeah, then salt away the game, right? Pull out the if you're Sark, pull out your Nick Saban card and just sit on the game, right? You have a stable of running backs. I know Roshan Johnson had a bad fumble in this game, but still, you have at least one NFL caliber running back, possibly two. And then you have three just damn good college running backs, right? If you want to throw Keelan Robinson in there um, and just salt the game away, right? You don't need to be getting fancy with it. If you just, if you have a defense that, you know, can, that can make plays when you need to, and you don't want to, you know, go three and out or like maybe scheme yourself out of a lead or something, just go what Nick Saban does and just sit on a game if you need to, and just get out of Dodge. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I completely agree with that. All right, moving on to our last game of the week. They just keep winning. UTSA 44, UAB 38. Man, I I don't know. They threw rain at Frank Harris. They threw a lot of stuff at Frank Harris. Um, first of all, I want to shout out Kavorian Barnes, man. They needed they needed some a running back, and you know, this backfield's been banged up all year, and he came up huge, 100 over 100 yards on the ground. And yeah, man, UTSA, I I don't know. It, everything we know about football tells us that this math should run out, right? That this just like, oh yeah, you won a lot of close games. That's eventually going to flip. And it just hasn't. <laughs> so I don't know, man. UTSA pulled out another one. It just, it's what they do. It's what they do. 
17 and six in one possession game since the start of the 2020 season. And if you ask Jeff Trailer, he'll point to the triangle of toughness and the culture right. that they built inside that locker room. And, and that's probably true. Sure. At I'm this pointing, point, look, I'm at this point, there's something to it, right? I'm pointing to Frank Harris. Fair. Right? Like when you have a quarterback who is that dude, he's the best player on your football team. He's the leader of your football team. He's seen anything and everything. And he's faced real life adversity, not mm -hmm. giving up a 14 point lead in the fourth quarter and going right. over life, not like life adversity, like almost had to give up football because his body just kept breaking down on him year after yeah. year after year at the end of his high school career and early in his college tenure. And he plays like a kid that's got nothing to fear, man. Like he just, okay. Let's see. You know, like when you're playing a video game and you put yourself in a tough position just to see if you can get yourself out of it. That's what Frank yeah. Harris is doing in college football. Like, oh, okay, well, this one's get, looking a little too easy. What if we how go? Good to am I? How good am I? <laughs> yeah, how good am I? Right? Like, he comes back against North Texas with you know a minute left on the clock. The defense gives up a 14 point lead against UAB, and he just casually goes out and throws two touchdowns to an overtime period to win that football game. You know, the only reason they lost to to Houston. Uh, and triple overtime is, you know, because Clayton Toon made an incredible play against the defense on it when it got That's to two point. point conversion time. Yeah. It wasn't even football anymore. And so this is what you does. They get into dogfights. They make it ugly even when they shouldn't. And then they win the game. And it mm -hmm. can be frustrating. Like, I I feel like I should, like, bill Jeff Trailer for my heart pressure <laughs> medicine that yeah. is eventually going to have to happen. Like, my blood pressure can't be good right anymore. As a UTSA football fan, I'm glad he has no more hair because he'd be losing it all again <laughs> if he didn't have it. Like they just play close games every single time out. It feels like, um, you know, he's only coached 34, 35 games at UTSA and 23 of them have been one possession games. Like this is what the, this is what it all is. Uh, but now they find themselves basically two games out of third place in Conference USA. They got some you know room to spare. Uh, they got winnable games to finish it out. And, and I think uh, you made an important point. Kavorian Barnes has really added balance to that offense, taking some pressure off the wide receiver core and Frank Harris and that offensive line. Yeah. Because yeah. we talk about this with Texas Tech as well. Pass blocking is much harder than run blocking. If you can just head downhill, know who you have to block and try to move a man out of the way, there's less to do there, right? Like mm -hmm. you may not physically be able to do it, but you know what you're supposed to do. If you're pass blocking, there's so many things a defense can do to you to make that weird and it can confuse you. And with all the injuries UTSA has had on the front, to be able to run the ball and keep defenses from just pinning their ears back and going after Frank has really helped the offensive line. Uh, but defensively, there's concerns. And without Rashad Wisdom, it feels like they're not as organized. A couple of those late touchdowns against UAB just felt like a lack of communication on the back end. Sure. You don't have the quarterback of your defense back there, and you're starting to see those cracks there. But the offense has been excellent. They're going to have to outscore some teams. And, and as we mentioned, UTSA does what UTSA does and wins a close football game on the road. Yeah, teams are getting so frustrated with Frank Harris. They're throwing uh, they're throwing refs at him now. I don't know if you saw that run in the in overtime where he bumped into the ref after he got a first down. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's nuts. Um, also, shout out Jacob Zeno. You know he looked really yeah. good, man. Uh, San, we mentioned him uh, on the on the preview show. Twenty six to thirty five, three twenty five through the air, man. Like looked really good. I'm glad he's finally finding his footing. I know it's been kind of a rough uh, college career for him coming from Baylor. Um, where he probably thought he'd eventually be the starter, but yeah, no, uh, insane. I mean, this team's inside track. We mentioned it inside track to the conference championship game. 
And everything we know about what they've gone through this year says that they probably shouldn't be in this position with their injuries, with their question marks, the holes to fill after Sincere McCormick leaves, all that stuff. They're just getting it done. So, yeah, Uh, if I'm if I'm Jeff Trailer, I am throwing myself around both Frank Harris and Will Stein this offseason. And I'm saying, please do not leave me. Because Will Stein's definitely somebody we're going to have to have another conversation about uh, with the way he's kind of revamped this offense. Okay, moving on. Let's get let's get to the wide zone. Okay, hinted at it off the top. You ready to get into SMU Houston? Let's go. <laughs> SMU. Oh, there we go. We got the mic now. Yeah, I got my um, mic going. I just changed USB cords. Uh, so that works. We should be better. Okay, just in time. SMU seventy-seven, Houston sixty-three. I can guarantee that the basketball game these two teams will play will not be this high score. Yeah, the one they played in February or March was like 10 points fewer than this one. Yeah. So Mike, you were also in town for this one uh, on hand. First of all, I'm glad that like we, it, the, both these teams just showed us that their defenses just stink. Both these defenses are just really bad. We were like, oh yeah, this is going to be a shootout. And it's like, oh, this was the shootout at halftime that I thought it was going to be at the end of the game. So what did you see from this one? This one was just, every time I looked up, I was like, is that, I kept seeing the score and I was like, is this the final score? And I was like, no, this is the third quarter. And so what yeah. what, you, what did you see on, on hand at Ford Stadium? I got a notification on my phone that they overcashed midway through the second quarter. You know, like, and it was a high over and under. It was 67 yeah. and a half and they hit that in the second quarter. It was the highest scoring game in FBS history. Yeah. The two offenses combined for 1,352 yards of total offense. By the way, I'll add the the team the, the games that it beat went into like six, seven overtimes. Right. right. <laughs> like we're this talking, we're talking the highest, LSU, Texas highest scoring regular season game ever in FBS history. Tanner Mordecai had nine incompletions and 10 touchdowns. 10. Stupid. He Stupid. scored 10 touchdowns. It's like Stupid. a AEW thing. 10, you know, like he yeah. scored 10, <laughs> 10 touchdowns. He had nine incompletions. Yeah. Clayton Toon threw seven touchdowns and lost, you know? And so um, I guess here's the thing, you know, when it comes to those games, it's just about whatever defense makes a play or what offense blinks, right? It wasn't going to be about punting or three and outs or anything like that. It it was just going to be like, we're going to keep scoring. And the first team that doesn't hold serve is going to lose. And and unfortunately for Houston, they threw three interceptions. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the difference in the game. Tanner Mordecai was perfect. You know, no no turnovers despite all the attempts. Clayton Toon threw a couple picks, and that made it different. Um, it was an exciting game. It was a fun game. It was sometimes frustrating because, like, we both love points. Like, I don't want to watch 13 to 10, but I'm not sure I want right. to watch 77 to 63 either. 100%. That's a little bit too much. I always love the Houston-Dallas thing. I hope they, they can figure out a way uh, to con- to continue this when Houston goes to the Big 12, at least occasionally. Mm-hmm. Cause it's cool for the state. I think it's cool for recruiting um, sure. as the transfer portal heats up more and more and more. I think it will become more of a Dallas versus Houston, even on the roster. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be fun. Um, but you know, for me, I think the biggest takeaway I had from the game, cause the game was just crazy banana pants <laughs> nuts, right? Like it was just absolutely insane. There's not a lot to really break down from the game. Like both secondary stink. Doug Belk lost himself a lot of money by not taking the Notre Dame defensive coordinator job this week, this year. Mm-hmm. 
and staying at Houston, they just haven't looked as good. And I'd imagine his star has fallen uh, a little bit for this year. There's a bigger conversation to have about Dana Holgerson and, and what gets him through the first year of the Big 12. I'm sure that's an offseason topic for us. Mm-hmm. But what stuck, sticks out to me is you look at the end and they're both five and four. And you realize that records are not created equally. Mm-hmm. Five and four for Houston feels much different for five and four for SMU. SMU is feeling great today. They're sure. one win away um, from a bowl game. I believe they have um, South Florida up next. And so like they have a winnable yes. game up next, you know, to get to their sixth win and get bowl eligible. And that's a victory for Rhett Lashley and that staff. If they finish six and six and go to a bowl game, that's a victory. Houston, on the other hand, even if they end up eight and four, that's a loss. Like, how do you keep a locker room together right now when there's nothing left to play for? You look at them and you like Rhett Lashley can go into his locker room and go, guys, we still have everything to play for. We win one mm-hmm. more game. We get to go bowling. Your last couple of bowl games were canceled because of the pandemic and different stuff like that. Let's go do something this program hadn't done in a couple of years. Dana Holgerson walks in that locker room and goes, hey, guys, we're playing for a bowl game. And the whole locker room rolls its eyes because right. expectations determine success or not success. And their expectations were 10 and 2 at the minimum. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to yep. reach a they're not going to reach a conference championship game. They're not going to play in a New York six bowl. And those were the expectations coming out of that Auburn win last year in the bowl game. That's what everybody in that locker room talked about. It'll be interesting to see how Holgerson can keep that group together without those expectations being met. And then, like I said, you know, you look at Cincinnati, BYU and central Florida. And I think I can make the argument that Houston is the least equipped to make an easy transition into the big 12 and they could be looking at a four and eight, five and seven type introduction next year because Clayton Toon's not going to be there. And I'm not sure who fills that role behind him. I was I was just going to say this feels like a transfer portal quarterback, you know, uh, destination. Has yeah, it has to be. I'm calling Chandler like, Morris. If, yeah, absolutely. hundred um, percent. Or one of the, you know, somebody, right? One of those tech quarterbacks, anything, right? Literally. At Kyron this point, Jones. Exactly. Something, right? You're trying to get something to. And, and. My thing with this with this team also is that the Big 12 right now, because of because of the fact that this New York Six is off the table, the Big 12 right now is to me what's keeping this roster together. Yes. Right? Like this jump to the Big 12. Because if you're not Daniel Dell and you're like, man, I'm going to the what bowl this year? Yeah. Right? Like I am the dude on this offense, right? Nathaniel and, Dell's going to uh bowl opt out and draft. I was about, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, but like that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, so I feel like this is one, obviously, the candidate for the probably the b- biggest candidate for a quarterback acquisition in the transfer portal. Two, if you're Dana Holgerson, you have to take a serious look at some staff changes, right? I'm not saying move on from Doug Belk, maybe because I think his tenure speak for itself, right? As far as like, this might just be a blip on the radar, but maybe shift some position coaches around, maybe add some, you know, different voices in there because something did go really wrong this year, right? Offensively, they weren't good until that bye week, or at least weren't consistent until that bye week. Defensively, they've just been on a downturn the entire season. Um, and so I mentioned in the pre, I mentioned in the previous show, that Houston's defense is bad, but they're worse in the run. And I didn't think SMU could capitalize on that because they didn't run the ball as much as we thought. Tyler Levine had his best game of the year. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, that's solved now. So like, it, it, yeah. So like a lot of questions just got, 
I don't know. A lot of a lot of uh, I have a lot of questions still about this defense, obviously, and I don't know how much gets better even after the offseason, right? You can do you just go for another transfer portal splash? Maybe, right? It's that type of era, so maybe they could, but um it just doesn't seem like something that can be fixed overnight at this point. That was a great point about Tyler Levine and his mm-hmm. introduction as the number one running back. Do you remember back in the Baylor and then Texas real air raid years, like Deontay Foreman and stuff yes. like that at Texas? It was spread them out, power back in the backfield. And That's then you just point. count you just count numbers. And it felt like SMU decided in their bye week, like that's what we're going to do. We're mm-hmm. going to put a big dude back there. And if you play light in the box, we're just going to pound you. And if you get more in the box, then we're going to throw it to Rasheed Rice and our talented wide receivers. And I think that's the right recipe for that offense. Big physical running back behind you to go against those five, six man boxes. And then when they start creeping up, now you can hit uh, big plays. And it felt like it really did feel like Tanner Mordecai walked to the line of scrimmage, counted the men in the box, and then just ran a play otherwise. And like mm-hmm. Houston, and SMU just used the numbers advantage to their advantage the entire game. I was about to say, like you look at Tanner Mordecai, you see nine, touch, nine passing touchdowns, you know, still it was only 369 through the air, right? It wasn't like, you know, Clayton Toon had the 500 yard passing game, which you would expect from somebody with five plus touchdowns. And yeah, Tyler Levine, 146 on the ground, Velton Gardner, almost 70 yards on the ground, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think, if that's their recipe going forward, right? Hammer with Tyler Levine, then maybe get a little bit uh, uh, scat back with Velton Gardner. Okay, that's that's a that's a recipe, right? That's kind of what they were built on in previous years, having that power back and then having that little speed scat back. So I, I agree. I think they if they found something here, maybe. Also, one last thing I do want to mention on this game. As much as we liked what we saw from Preston Stone, does he have this game in him right now? That's a great question. I think he probably throws an interception or two. Yeah. You know, I think, like, so I, I think he he's due for a mistake and it gets a little bit closer. Yeah. I think Tanner Mordecai probably saw and heard all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys don't live in bubbles. Sure. You know, they act like they don't hear the outside noise, but they're human. They He watched Preston Stone. He knows the deal. He knows that Preston Stone's probably going to be the starting quarterback next year. And the staff may turn the page to, to 2023. And maybe I'm the odd man out. And then through happenstance, you know, you get your starting quarterback job back and, you know, to his credit, he went out and absolutely took advantage of the moment, an incredible performance by him. And I would imagine one that behind closed doors in the dark when he's by himself, he feels pretty satisfactory about and knows oh, yeah. he kind of got one over on everybody who was kind of writing him off a little too early. Oh, 100%. Me and Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> Definitely the show included. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, I'm going to start every week uh, with a it's been blank days since some nonsense went on at Texas A&M. So Florida 41, Texas A&M 24. Look, the score is what it is because at this point, I don't know who A&M was supposed to put on the field. Um, (laughs) They had a flu outbreak. Uh, which of course they did just because of yeah. everything had that happened. Uh, let me hear Nick Delatore uh, tweeted out exactly who was out, including suspensions, uh, everything else. Starting left guard, backup left guard, starting center, starting quarterback, starting wide receiver, starting wide receiver, backup wide receiver. That was offense. Defense, starting defensive end, starting defensive end, backup defensive end, backup defensive end, starting tackle, starting linebacker, starting corner, backup corner, backup corner, starting nickel, backup nickel, starting safety. So <laughs> a lot of this news was trickling out. It felt like a, 
like like anytime like a really bad in, like national incident happens and you're just trying to see like the news trickle out like it felt like that because like people saw like Haynes King warming up. I was like, where's Connor Wigman? And then like Travis Brown would tweet out, I see Devonta Chain out there. Like he's okay. You know, like it's it very much felt like a national disaster, like where you're just waiting for any bit of news to like trickle out and see what's going on. Um, because yeah, apparently AM and apparently AM, like a lot of other campuses were having like I guess it was just it's flu season, obviously. Obviously, COVID's still going around. Um, but AM was just hit really hard by the flu. And yeah, Connor Wigman was out and a bunch of other dudes. And of course, we're still talking about suspensions to those freshmen. And so AM looked fine for part of the game. And then you realized, oh, wait, they have three and four uh, uh, string dudes going out there in like the fourth quarter. And Florida just ended up rolling them. Uh, they had no depth. And of course, it happens to AM, right? Of course, just like that's what that's, that's the narrative of the season. <laughs> Uh, at your uh, at your closest Walgreens and CVS flu shots are available. Please yes. go get them because I was about to say, Jimbo took a... everybody after the game on the bus to, yeah. to, to a it's, CVS. It's going to be a nasty flu season because jokes aside, we've kind of been isolated for a couple of years, you know, sure. like in, in a grand scale, you know, yeah. and now all of a sudden everything's back to normal and germs are going to start getting around. So, you know, go get your flu shot, go get your COVID booster. Uh, you know, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you still get sick, but maybe you still get to play in a football game. Right. You know, <laughs> right like, yes. Um, and so Aggie shut out in the second half. I felt like for the second straight week script Jimbo versus non-script Jimbo was a big mm-hmm. thing offensively. It still feels, and, and you can tell each week the new uh, TV reporting crew, because like for people who don't know, whoever's covering a game for the TV, who's ever calling the game for TV gets to have mm-hmm. a meeting one-on-one with the coach and a couple coordinators on like Friday to kind of give them some inside tidbits to make them sound super smart on television. And the last two weeks, the crews have gone out of their way to talk about how Jimbo's offense is fine and everybody there feels like it's okay. And it's, it's modern enough and it's simple. Everybody should figure it out. No big deal. You know, and yep. like, so you can just tell that there is some, uh, some party lines being drawn there or whatever, oh, yeah. on the SEC network and things of that nature, but it's not fine. It's not good. Uh, we, you know, this was going on while I was in the TCU press box with a couple other writers and stuff. And we're like, holy crap, A&M scored 24 points. And it was like noon, you know? Yeah. And then like 3 PM, it was like, holy crap, A&M had only scored 24 points. And it, you know, like nothing. Had <laughs> they changed. just, they just stopped. <laughs> just yeah. Stopped yeah. Scoring. Just absolutely stopped because there's no adjustment. They have one thing. And as soon yeah. as the defense realizes, oh, this is what Jimbo is trying to do to me today. Let's take this yeah. away. Then it. That's it. That's there's nothing. He, he's a basketball player with one post move. Like that, mm-hmm. that's it. That's all he is. And then the other thing for me is what happened to the 2019, 2020, and 21 recruiting classes? It's not like they were bad recruiting classes. Everyone I just right. mentioned are top 10. Yeah. Like last year's or 2021 was ninth, 2020s was sixth, 2019s was fifth, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. Why is it 2022 or bust already for AM? What happened to the development behind the scenes? They had 32 true freshmen come in in that 2022 class. 10 of them have already started a game. This yeah. was before yesterday. Like, why are they so dependent on true freshmen? This isn't Jimbo's second year. Yeah. And so I just think there's more things to talk about. With the with AM, the offense takes up so much of the bandwidth that we don't get to anything else. But everything is crumbling in College Station. Matt Brown put out that three out of the last five top, you know, six or top 10 teams that finished ranked outside the top 25 at the end of the year were Jimbo Fisher teams. He's mm. entered the last two years 
sixth in the nation preseason in both polls. They went eight and four last year, and they're on their way to like a five and seven, four and eight type season this year. It's completely collapsing in A&M. I don't know what the quick answers are. Like, is that recruiting class going to be so much better next year to where they all of a sudden start competing with Alabama and LSU? And Because if I'm A&M, my biggest fear is that you look at Baton Rouge and go, Brian Kelly's already figured it out. Yeah, that's a great point. Texas is coming. Oklahoma's coming. Alabama's Alabama. Georgia, you know, is about to be the new Alabama. And LSU's already got it figured out. Yeah. Like where, where do we sit in this new SEC landscape? Devon A. Chain is the whole plane. He's excellent. He's awesome, but he's not going to be here next year. Evan Stewart, tremendous. Going to have to hold on to him. And so I don't know, man. It just, every time I watch AM, I, I feel like I leave the game with more questions than I entered it with. And eight weeks or eight games into this season, nine games into the season, that shouldn't be true anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think that you look at, <laughs> Let me. I'm going to read you some of these names because you were part of this. You were on the beat when AM was starting to really find its footing recruiting wise um, under Jimbo Fisher. So we know about Haynes King is what he is. Probably doesn't fit the offense, right? But you know he was one of the he was one of the first crown jewel quarterback gets for them. Uh, we know Devonta Chain's great. Demond Demas, remember him? <laughs> he was yeah. another crown jewel. Jalen Jones starter. Okay, fine. Probably not the five star you wanted him to be exactly, but he was, I believe he was the top rated player in that class, you know, is what it is. Uh, Moose Muhammad. Good. Right. Awesome. Um, LJ Johnson. Right. Like that's somebody. Shamar Turner. Good job. Right. Shamar Turner looks really good. Bryce Foster. Good. Really good out for the year, unfortunately, but still good. Shadrick Banks. TCU. TCU defensive player now. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Burris, right? Mm-hmm. Ruben Fathery, solid. Eli Stowers, switch positions. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was credit. He was back at quarterback yesterday because they needed him, but uh, <laughs> but he's been tight end. Um, Deuce Harmon. Like a, a lot of these guys, these are four star. I have not read off a three star guy yet, right? A lot of these guys are four or five stars, and they're either. Unless you're a Shamar Turner, Devonta Chain, like nailing, boom, right there, you're kind of just around, right? And it feels very Texasy. Yes, yes, it feels it feels very late Mac Brown, Tom Herman's last last couple years. That te- yes, hundred percent, where you're just like, oh yeah, Brendan Eagles is playing, right? It's right. like yeah, he's he's like yeah, he's playing, but yeah, now you look at the 2022 class and it's like Evan Stewart looks like a star. But it's like you, he's already having to be a star as a freshman because, you know, other guys didn't pan out, right? Shadrick Banks, Demond Demas did not pan out. So you need this new freshman. Moose Muhammad needs to be good. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 bad. Um, and then, of course, we don't even know what's going to happen with Denver Harris and Chris Marshall, who are two other freshmen that are just right. suspended. May now. not even be there next year. Yeah, so, yeah, it's... Bryce Anderson may be their best defensive player right now. That's a good point too. Yeah. You know, uh, like it's just, it's, it's I just, bad. where did those guys go? Right. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's an indictment on this coaching staff right now. It's it's, there's a lot of things going, there's not just one problem. And I think that, you know, A&M fans last year held on to this hope where as soon as we get a quarterback plugged in, that's one of our guys, we're going to be okay. Right. And 2022 has proven 
There's cracks everywhere. As soon as you put duct tape over one, it feels like another one pops up between the I, culture, the the playing, like all that stuff. There seems to be a new problem every single week in College Station. I think what the quarterback would have done is made things seem less dire. Sure. Right. It would have like, like last they, week. Sure. Yeah, exactly. You had Connor Wigman. Okay, cool. You looked, he looked really good. Oh man. Awesome. So you're not worried about the offensive line. You're not worried about whatever, whatever. Um, and I think similarly when they had, remember when their, their complaint was that Kellen Mon just is like Kellen Mon wasn't good enough. Right. Yeah. Like, his ceiling's not high enough. Right, exactly. His ceiling's not high enough. And it's like, man, we've seen one quarterback make this thing work for Jimbo Fisher, right? And it's Jameis Winston. And you need to find a Jameis Winston. Now, could Connor Wigman turn into that? I don't know. I don't think so. But I think he's he's damn good. So, like, he probably could be eventually. But you're hoping a lot that he turns into a certain quarterback to make this thing work. So, uh, yeah, uh, get your flu shot and uh, just wait out the season because – I honestly don't know what AM's playing for anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh speaking speaking of t- oh, go ahead. Do you want to say one more thing? No, I'm just I'm already into the offseason of like who do you go hire as offensive coordinator? Because I sure. think I, I think I was at a game yesterday with two guys who have a Brinks truck backed up to him. Like if mm. I'm Jimbo, I call Garrett Riley. Sure. Well, Garrett Riley does yeah. Garrett Riley doesn't if TCU gives him enough money to keep him there, I'm calling Zach Kitley. Sure. Um if Zach Kitley so. gets there, I might see what happens in San Marcos. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a, a little, little you know, homecoming. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so, like, it's just one of those things where, like, it has to change. Like, there has to be oh, big sure. time changes over the off season. There just has to be. If I, the one, one last thing on this. If I'm Jimbo, and the minute that last uh, a whistle hits on the season, I'm putting up a sheet. I'm saying, who wants to be here next week? <laughs> And who do, because we got to figure out that roster, yeah. right? People talk about, oh, this guy's going to leave. This guy's going to, okay, figure that out right now. Like, like do not waste any time because you got to hit the recruiting trail. You got to hit the transfer portal. You got to hit all these things because if, if uh, Denver Harris is gone, okay, cool. You need a number. You need to go get a corner right now, right? If Evan Stewart is gone, you need to go hammer a receiver right now, right? I'm not saying he's going to leave. Don't worry, AM, but I'm just saying you don't know who's going to be on that roster next year because of all the attrition, all the fit issues, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm like day one, second one of the offseason. I'm like, who's coming back? <laughs> and the recruiting class right now is 17th. That's going to be his worst of his sure. tenure if that yep. if that holds up. You know, I'd imagine it sneaks into the top 15, but it's not going to be a top eight you know, recruiting class. So there's not just this crazy amount of talent about to come in. Like it sure. needs to be guys on campus and transfer portal guys. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fun and interesting time for, for talking heads, you know, this in college station. Be, and this like, is there's be just a there's like 13 storylines to delve into. Definitely. All righty. Let's move on to a team that has a lot to play for Baylor 38, Oklahoma 35. You mentioned it before the show Baylor very quietly, all of a sudden, has the inside track with controlling their own destiny to a potential Big 12 title game. They still got Kansas. They still still got Texas. They still got TCU, right? And they still got Kansas State. Yep. Baylor, a team that we maybe, I don't want to say rode off. That's probably too hard hard, hard of a thing to say. But a team that we maybe were like, ah, it's not going to be their year, right? It's going to be probably more of a retooling. All of a sudden, 38-35, thanks to some uh, Squirrel Williams uh, action going on there, almost 200 yards. 
they're right there, man. All of a sudden, Dave Aranda's team just right, popping right back up. Yeah, you remember before the year when we were like, Baylor's going to be good because they're going to be able to run the ball really well behind a great offensive line. Blake Shapin's going to be efficient and mm-hmm. vertical. <laughs> and the defense is going to create a lot of turnovers because that's what Dave Aranda, Rob Roberts' turnover, or defense, Ron Roberts' defenses do. Mm-hmm. And then like the first eight weeks of the season happened, and we were like, oh. Well, they're not running the ball that great. Blake Shapin's not being all that efficient. The defense can't get any turnovers. And (laughs) then something happened. I don't know what it is, but they got three more interceptions yesterday on defense. So that's eight in the last two weeks combined. (laughs) Um, Richard Reese had the flu bug that's going around everywhere in college campuses, I suppose. And he didn't Mm -hmm. get to play very much yesterday. Uh, He still gave it a go and, and played a little bit, which was kind of impressive. But then you just turn to your next running back that just got back from, you know, an injury bug and you give him the ball 25 times and he runs for 192 yards. They're starting to look like the Baylor team that we predicted to win the big 12. This is why, because they were just going to pound people into dust. Mm -hmm. That's what I assumed the Jeff Grimes offense would do all year. They didn't do that as much early on. The defense weren't, wasn't getting as many turnovers either. Uh, but that's all changed. Josh Cameron, a Cedar Park alum who who walked on at Baylor, led the team with five catches for 72 yards. So they're finding weapons on the outside. It feels like a new wide receiver is leading the team and receiving. Right. Could be, that could be good. That means you got a lot of weapons. It could be bad. That means you don't have a true number one. Uh, but like you mentioned, everything is still out in front of them. They still play the three best teams in the Big 12 next to them. If they win all three of those games, they are in the Big 12 championship game against either TCU, Texas, or Kansas State. And so um, everything to play for for Baylor, they're coming around at the right spot. And something that about Dave Aranda that I've always found super interesting, I guess add it to the list, but he likes things to be hard. Mm. You know, like he once told me that when he was a kid, he would trade his new school supply stuff to to people who had old school supply, you know, because he liked it that way. You know, he just liked it. He eats one time a day and that's at midnight because if you can control your stomach, you can control a lot of things in your life. Right. Oh God. That's such a, I mean, you mentioned it's like such a Buddhist monk mentality, right? He's a philosopher. (laughs) He's a philosopher King is what he is. Right. Like that's what he is. And so his teams kind of take on that approach. They like it. They like to do it the hard way. Last year, they won a ton of one possession games. Every game was close. It was a lot like how we talked about UTSA earlier. Uh, This year, they let a couple go. They put themselves behind the eight ball with two conference losses and that BYU loss. And Mm -hmm. as soon as we were ready to write the obituary, Baylor, me, that speaks to what Dave Aranda is as a person and a coach. A lot of programs would have folded. You go from winning the Big 12 championship game to starting five and three. And like we talked about with Houston, expectations can determine uh, you know, what happens inside of a locker room. They weren't meeting expectations and it would have been easy for everybody to jump ship, but nobody did. Yeah. And so uh, credit to the Bears, credit to Aranda for keeping this thing going, keeping this thing afloat. And, you know, they play Kansas State next week at home. Um, you know, TCU game's always weird. You know, that's a, that's a big-time game for both teams. Uh, and then, of course, Texas, which, you know, if things go right for both of those teams, that could be a game that decides who plays TCU in the Big 12 championship game. So yeah. um, a lot a lot out there uh, for Baylor. Um, and the Big 12 is just awesome. Right. Just absolutely awesome. Um, and the last three weeks of the year have set up to be almost a round robin between those three or four teams, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I agree. I think the only matchup we've seen is TCU-Kansas State. 
um everybody else is gonna basically play each other. at least the last the teams in, in this race is uh they're gonna play each other i know it's two weeks away espn's projections have baylor as the favorite against tcu again mm-hmm. i know we'll, we'll probably change if tcu wins this weekend but still i think that's very interesting that they're kind of liking the trajectory that tcu's on um i agree that baylor blake or yeah, Baylor's on. Um, I agree that we've seen a different Blake shape, and then especially the BYU game where you're really questioning kind of if they made the right decision with with at least for this year as far as starting quarterback goes. They're not having him have to do as much because of guys like Richard Reese and now Squirrel Williams in this game. Uh, defensively, I'm very fascinated to see how they do now with arguably their toughest three matchups of the year coming up. Right. Um, so I, yeah. For everything we talked talked about with Baylor, oh, it's going to be a weird seven win season. You know, it'll be fine, whatever. All of a sudden, they're you know, if they two and one, probably gets them to the Big Twelve Championship game, right? This next with this next three game stretch, so um, something to definitely <laughs> definitely watch. And I can't believe I'm saying that already. Um, with, yeah, how, with how the season may, went, TCU might play a three loss team in the Big Twelve Championship game, <laughs> like a three loss conference team. Not, I mean, probably right. a team with four or five losses overall. Right. Like, it's point. just it's just insane what the Big 12 is this year. Yep. All right, moving on to the Mike Craven Bowl. 30 Rice 37, <laughs> UTEP 30. Um listen, this one was fun except for the first half where UTEP's offense was one of the worst things I think I've seen. <laughs> That was really bad. I'm really glad they got in the locker room and came out and played a lot better. Uh, definitely ran the ball a little bit better. Um, but good God, there were some. They Rice was basically like, "Yes, Gavin Hardison, please throw the ball five yards or more." Like <laughs> Rice just said, "No one's in the middle of the field. Load the box one on one. Make those receivers beat you, Gavin Hardison. Go." And it took him. A, it took him a half to adjust to that. But Utah finally got on going. Um, I will say, even throughout the whole game, it just looked harder for UTEP to like move the ball. Like Rice's points, I won't say came easy, but came easier definitely. Mm-hmm. Where you you saw what they were doing, right? You saw them trying to trying to get the run game going. You saw Bradley Rosner get some huge plays, and you're like, man, there's some there's explosiveness here. There's some balance when they need it to be. And T- at UTEP, everything was just like, oh god, like a, a cool here, here Calvin Brown holds, you know, like here's here here's a play by him. Here's Dion Hankins pushing for six yards. It just looked like a team that I don't say played with its food a little bit. I think it was a close game, but um, yeah, I don't know. This looked like <laughs> I'm I'm personally glad that Rice came out with it because it looked like they were the better team. Yeah, this was a, a game between a team with a a big knockout blow punch and then a team that has to win by points. And mm-hmm. I think if I went back to 2021-ish and was like, hey, UTEP and Rice are going to play and the team with the more uh, uh, explosive offense out wide is going to win this game, you'd be like, UTEP, UTEP won. You know, <laughs> like this is just how things can change, especially at the G5 level with roster turnover. All of a sudden, UTEP is the body blow, have to win it physically, run the football, play solid defense, hope your defense comes up with a big play. And Rice is the team throwing for 334 yards and a couple touchdowns and hitting vertical shots. And so uh, credit to Mike Bloomgren and that staff for kind of opening mm-hmm. up the offense. We talked a lot in the, in the offseason about how do you win in modern football playing that kind of foot? You know, like Stanford doesn't win anymore. Northwestern right. even went to a supercharged up-tempo offense. Like you can't bully people at the G5 level when you're getting the 30th pick of offensive tackles in the recruiting circles or whatever. Um, and Bloomgren agreed and spread it out. TJ McMahon's been excellent when he's not turning the ball over. He had a career high 
uh, passing hit Bradley Rosner for, uh, you know, with 25 seconds left for that game winning touchdown. So, and it did feel like the team with the ball last was going to win because Mm -hmm. with Calvin Brownholtz in the game at quarterback for Gavin Hardison, UTEP looked better because he can run the football with power in a Mm -hmm. way that Gavin Hardison can't. That keeps a linebacker up close. Now you get one-on-one on the back end or they have to play zone and then you can beat that. Uh, with your passing game, Tywin Smith, still a good receiver. They just don't have the depth or the explosiveness that they had last year. But all of a sudden, you know, Rice is within one game of reaching a bowl for the first time since 2014. They've matched their most wins since 2015. They have Western Kentucky up next, a Western Kentucky team that looks a lot more beatable mm-hmm. than maybe it did when we first saw the schedule. Uh, because they closed with UTSA in North Texas. And so it's hard to imagine those being wins. They're going to need this next week. And then if you look at UTEP's schedule, they got FIU up next. So maybe they get to their fifth win there because uh, they get a buy. They get a buy because they played week zero. They get two buys. This is their second buy. Then <clears throat> they close at UTSA. And the hope for UTEP is UTSA is in the position they were against North Texas last year, where sure. it was done and dusted. And they're using that week as a way to get healthy for the conference championship game. Maybe UTEP can run it that way, but uh, it felt like a big opportunity loss for UTEP, which seems to be the theme of the 2022 season. And then for Rice, it's kind of the opposite of how 2021 went. These are games Rice lost last year. And frankly, the year before and the year before that, they were not winning these close toss-up games. Now, because they're not turning the ball over as much, they're starting to win some of these games in conference. And it's looking like Rice is really turning a corner in 2022. And that's a great sign as they move towards the American. Agreed. Um, I know uh, uh, Gavin Hardison had to be taken out of the game, of course. Um, I think he was carted off, unfortunately. But Calvin, you mentioned Calvin Brownholtz. I'm very fascinated to see how, if, you know, presumably he gets a start maybe this, at least this week. Uh, we'll see what the update is on Gavin Hardison. But I do wonder, like, you know, we talk about, especially last year, we talked about, you know, UNT and Texas State kind of switching up their offense when they had a quarterback who's maybe a more power run oriented I do wonder when we'll see, because it's one thing to to do that in a game where you're kind of thrown in, right? You you know your quarterback's strengths, but the defense maybe is game plans for one thing, and all of a sudden they get a guy who can run zone read a lot better. Um, they did have to, you know, to to shout out Richard Johnson, a split zone dude, they did have to Mickey Mouse the offense a little bit when Calvin Brown holds his win to kind of like get him some easy throws. They had a throwback that was really nice, uh, nicely designed for uh, touchdown uh he rolled out to the right kind of hit somebody on the back end uh, back to the left and so i wonder like do we see more stuff like that for an entire game right if he's the guy going forward because you have the ability you know get him on the move and defenses can key in whenever you they see him rolling out it's like oh is this a is this a run play is this a design you know throwback or something um it'll be interesting to watch them kind of game plan on the fly because they kind of did that in this game where they were like, okay, here's a whole chunk of the playbook out, but here's a new like six or seven plays in that we couldn't run with Gavin Hardison. Um, so yeah, that's something to watch if I'm, if I'm a UTEP fan, I think they know, you know, Calvin Brownholtz has been around for a while. Um, but I think last year and the second half of the year before Gavin Hardison kind of separated himself from that pack um, to where he didn't see much of Brownholtz. So I don't know. We'll see if he's grown uh, as a passer at all. I don't know how much G5 football or Conference USA football Richard Johnson watches. It's a whole lot of Mickey Mouse. Oh, it is. It is all. It is all Mickey Mouse. When Kentucky goes to the Mickey Mouse offense, maybe it doesn't work so well against the SEC defenses after a while. But you can reach a bowl game with a Mickey Mouse offense in Conference USA without question. So if I'm 100%. 
you do get a bye week. So Hardison has two weeks to get healthy. Hopefully yep. he can get healthy. But if not, and even if he is healthy, he's not going to be 100%. I imagine we see more of this package. Mm-hmm. Whether it's 100% of the time or not, I don't know. But you will see Brown Holtz in the backfield as a runner and the occasional thrower, even if Hardison returns. Uh, because it just it takes so much pressure off of everything else that they do. They have to work so hard for every yard that if you can add a new dimension into it, you absolutely do. Yep. All right. Moving on to a team that does not need to Mickey Mouse anything right now. North Texas 52, FIU 14. Craven on my notes. I just have mash. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man. I mean, look, we we knew this team, we knew this game would be one-sided, right? FIU is a very young team. I think it might be the youngest team in college football. Um, it was the great, it was a perfect game for homecoming if you're North Texas. Um, but Austin Ani, good man. scheduling job. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. Austin Ani, man, twenty-five of thirty-three, four four fourteen through the air, five touchdowns, one pick. This is what you want to see against a team that you are very much better than, very much more experienced than. You had the defense playing great. You had Austin Ani showing out. And yeah, man, I mean, UNT still there lurking, right? They're they're still holding on to that conference championship uh, 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 possibility. And it's very much, uh, after the UTSA game, they might have had one hand on the ledge. After, North, after Western Kentucky, they had two. And now to this one, they're starting to pull themselves back up. So they got a big game against UAB. They can basically pencil in, not pen, but pencil in the name. If they, if they get this one and UNT is rolling. I'm almost at the point where I think North Texas wins conference USA. It's, it's, it's it, like, it's if, North looking, it's UTS, looking. if North Texas played UTSA on Saturday, this coming up Saturday. Yeah. I, I think I know who I'm picking, you know, Austin Ani's starting to play really good football. And that began against yeah. that UTSA secondary it's hard for me to imagine that running game won't be better than the first matchup against the Roadrunners, and they still almost won that game on the road. And so for me, you know, all of a sudden you play a UAB team that I feel like they shot their last shot against UTSA. They're mm-hmm. out of the conference race now with four conference losses. I think North Texas gets UAB at the right time. They'll beat UAB. And, you know, and then the sneaky thing here is Rice controls their own destiny as well, right? Like, I know it's absurd to think sure. about, but if Rice beats Western Kentucky – Right. They go to that North Texas game, you know, all of a sudden UTSA, North Texas, like they, if they run the table, they would have the tiebreaker over North Texas, but uh, it feels like the mean green are on their way to a rematch against US, UTSA. I feel like that'll be a, another fun matchup. You know, those two programs are five and five against each other um, so far in UTSA's history, but name me a team in the state that's playing better right now than North Texas. I don't think you can, you know, TCU maybe, but they're kind of winning by the skin of their teeth. A lot of weeks, North Texas is blowing teams out. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing on the internet this week was real. It was people realizing that Austin Ani is old, uh, because oh, yeah. <laughs> the Tennessee, uh, the Tennessee, uh, Georgia game was featuring two quarterbacks that added up to like 49 and people were pretending as if that was the oldest quarterback matchup in the history of the game. When Frank Harris and Austin Ani combined for 53, <laughs> like three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Austin Ani should give everybody in their 20s hope that you can turn the page that late in life, right? You start living your best life as you approach 30. It really proves the point that your 30s are better than your 20s. Austin Ani is going to realize that next year when he is a 30-year-old starting quarterback in the American Athletic Conference, because the dude's only a junior, Yeah, I'd imagine he comes back. 
Yeah. Um, and I apologize for trying to pencil in anybody other than him as the quarterback of the North Texas Mean Green going into 2022. I even put Grant Gannell on our top 50 most important players of the season because I just assumed that's a I good just point. assumed that Austin Ani couldn't do this. He threw nine touchdowns last year total. Yeah. He's up over 30, or he's like Here's close the- to 30 now. And so yeah. Um, comeback player of the year, most improved player of the year, all of that kind of stuff. He's been excellent. Good on North Texas. It's been fun because it felt like the whole, like even their own fan base was yelling at me about right. like, oh, they're going to, they're not, they're not going to be that good this year. They're not getting the six wins much less right. than the conference championship game. It's like, I don't know guys. I've seen them twice. I saw them twice Here, in person and they've been great both times. Yeah. Here's the thing. One, Jim Weber, um, tweeted out that he'd be the 11th oldest starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, <laughs> which is nuts. Um, But also like you mentioned comeback player of the year. He has a real shot at offensive player of the year in conference USA. Yeah. Right. Like numbers wise, he's ahead of Frank Harris. Now I think Frank Harris is the most valuable player easily. Right. But like, if we're just talking about sheer numbers wise, he has more passing yards, more touchdowns, more things like that. So like he has a real legitimate shot him with, it'll be him. I mean, honestly, it might be Austin Reed at this point, but also like he's right there with those three, right? It's those three and then a gap. And then like everybody else in terms of who is going to be offensive player of the year. Um, so it's, it's going to be nuts. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, anybody who's older in life and thinking they can't, they can't do something or they don't want to do something. Look, this man was playing baseball a couple of years ago. Right. So if you want to change, you want to change things around, you're tired of your job. You're tired of your <laughs> tired of the life track you're on. Go back to school, go back to something, you know, be an awesome my life. My life also turned around at 29. Uh, it was rehab go. though, uh, that turned that <laughs> one around. You know, another thing that works in North Texas's favor here is they play UAB and then they get a late season bye Cause like UTEP, they point. played in, yeah. they played in week zero. And so they get a second bye. Um, so let's say they beat UAB, they get that by, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be healthier going into that conference championship game and that ender against Rice than anybody that they're playing against. It's all starting to point towards the mean green. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just going to be a matter of handling expectations. Sometimes that can change within a locker room and we'll see how they do as the hunter rather than the hunted. Yeah. And I will, I'll, I'm going to give you a little bit of slack for that uh, Grand Ganell thing, because here's the thing. They kept bringing in quarterbacks. <laughs> Three of them, <laughs> three of them. So it's not like, it's not like set the trails. Like, no, no, no. We trust. Them. No, you brought in three right. <laughs> like, and, and so also, many quarterbacks to and try every, and bench every time, guy. every time I talked to him in the off season, I'd be like, so who's the starting quarterback? Yeah. <laughs> and he'd be like, it's Austin on his job until somebody takes it from him. And it's like, okay, well, it's like, like, that's fair, but it's also, you're bringing in guys to try right. to take it from him. Right. Dana Holgerson doesn't say that about Clayton Toon. <laughs> You know what I, you know He's what I mean? He's Grant Gannell, right? He's bringing right, yeah, guys who are right. objectively worse than yeah. Clayton Toon. You, you ask Holgerson that, he's like, it's Clayton Toon's job. You know, it's not <laughs> like until somebody, there's not a qualifier to it. The fact that his own head coach added a qualifier made me believe right. that he's looking for improvements. And I think he was. And I think Austin Ani knew that as well. And sure. good on Ani for, for not backing away from that. Mm-hmm. To, He's like, no, it is my job until somebody yeah, takes it from me. Yeah. yeah, bring in however many quarterbacks you want to. I'm keeping this job. Nobody's outplaying me here. Right. And he was right. And he's right. We all have egg on our face. And <laughs> Austin Ani's walking around, probably with a couple bad knees, but walking around. Uh, very excited today, I'd imagine. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Speaking of, uh, lastly, speaking of teams and programs that are not very excited right now, ULM 31, Texas State 30. Um, I have written here, time's up. And I have also, so I was texting with a buddy and he sent me these three things. 
the last three games, 17 points allowed, 20 points allowed with three turnovers, and then four turnovers this past week, and they lost all three. Yeah. Time's up. Like, I, we are huge Jake Spavadol fans on this podcast, right? Excellent huge. dude. Love to hang out with him, right? He's somebody who I would have been a friend with in college probably. Yeah, he's great. It, I, I don't know what else is what the, what else there is, right? UL Monroe, I mentioned it. UL Monroe is that program that you're supposed to be ahead of, right? As bad as it gets, you're not UL Monroe. And they completely let them i forgot how many un uh, how many points they let them score to take the lead and they're it, 21 nothing after the first quarter to, right to stay and okay 17 to 3 in the second quarter and then all of a sudden you score no touchdowns after the first quarter but definitely in the second half and yeah they score let me see 17 24 31 points after the first quarter and they outscore you 31 to 9 yeah. i don't know man I, I think your point about the turnover margin is a huge one. You know, they beat App State, and it's like, oh, man, they got a chance now. They changed the sure. math. They just got to go win a couple games here that are winnable. And they go to Troy, and they win the turnover battle 3-0, and they lose that one 17-14. And then they they go to Monroe a couple weeks later, and they win the turnover batter, battle 4-0 and lose 31-30 mm -hmm. to Monroe despite being up 21-0 in the first quarter. I'm with you. I think time's up. Like, and I hate to say that, but – I don't know how it gets better from here because you can't look at a recruiting class and go, well, we got some talent coming up. We got some talent, you know, in the pipe that's coming on. We're going to be pretty good. I'm excited about this guy or this guy or this guy. They're all transfers. And so, um, you know, it feels like in the, in the state, I get why he went that route because of the budget. Sure. And uh, I, 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 he's talked me into his strategy for it. I think so. Same, same, but it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And so when you try something new, you try something so different in a state that cares so much about high school football, when you zig, when everybody else is zagging, it's got to work. It just does. Or you're going to have pie on your face and you're going to get fired for it. And, you know, they lose next week to South Alabama and they're at seven losses. They're out of bowl eligibility. And to me, at that point, it becomes, you know, what are we doing here? What are we what are we doing next year? Because as we talked about um you know, coaches never get that last year of the contract. They either get mm -hmm. extended or they get fired before it comes up. We're entering that time uh, for, for Spavadol. And if you're in a conference that's a lot of fun, that's getting a lot of natural national attention as possibly the best G5 conference, you know, moving forward, or at least the most exciting, the most fun G5 moving, you want to be a part of that fun. You want to be at the party. And right now, Texas State's standing outside waiting for an invite in. And that can't be where you want to be as the lone in-state program in a conference that's continuously continuously upping its reputation you're not keeping up and yeah. you're falling further behind that just you can't like there's no excuse for it yep i agree um it'd be it'd even be more different if he was a defensive coach right yeah. if this was the performance he was getting because you can point to that and say man if he just you know, make some staff changes on offense or whatever but he is the staff right on offense <laughs> right he's the staff change yeah. And so and they don't have the money to go hire offense coordinators. Right. You know, he's so, told me that. Yeah. yeah. That like and his they, his fear of hiring an offense coordinator is that that guy comes in and say the offense is really good. Now somebody else hires them and we got to change our playbook it, one yep. year, a year out. If I'm the offense coordinator, at least I know it stays the same. 100%. Uh, so I think that's a great point. Like when you're a coach and most of these coaches say maybe save Jeff McGuire or Joey McGuire. 
have mm-hmm. a side of the ball. Like even Jeff Trailer is an offensive guy. He spent sure. most of his career being an offensive coach. Most of these guys have a side of the football. Sonny Dykes offense, Rhett Lashley offense, Dave Aranda defense, right? Jake Spavadol is an offensive guy. You cannot be losing because your offense stinks over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, it'll be an interesting next. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I feel like if if it was happening, we'll know by the end of today. We'll know tomorrow. Um, you feel like they would give if they were to make a move. Um, I'm not reporting anything, but um, they would give the interim a, a full week of practice or whatever to get things ready. But if not, you know, like I said, I'm. I still think they might hope they might wait until the team's officially out of bowl yeah, contention. I, or whatever, I think so. I'm with, I think I've come around to your side. I thought that if they lost this game, it was over. Right. Right. I think your point that you made on Wednesday was a great one that they're going to let him lose his seventh game first. Right. Um, so, and so that's probably coming Saturday because South Alabama's seven and two. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's probably a time up. Um, so that'll do it for us, man. That was a, that was a pretty great week. I mean, like conference championships or, or conference races are really heating up. Um, there's really no, there's really no conference that the state is out of except probably the AAC right now, but even there's still like some like fingertips on the ledge there S- the the sec they're out of the sec F- fair enough sorry yes i don't i don't really consider the state really in that as far as just right. am. um right. but yes good point yeah. uh yeah. that was wrapped up pretty pretty long ago probably week one um <laughs> but definitely week two 100 week two um but with that being said man uh go get your flu shot please <laughs> on that note uh because yeah that's not fun uh winter is coming Winter is coming, man. Uh, AM, it's already here. So, um, with that, being I heard said, that news and made my appointment. <laughs> Ironically, I mean, I had my appointment last weekend, so I was really, I was yeah. like, oh, I, was made I go, I go, there. I go today at like 5 p.m. because, yeah, like, okay. I, you know, like all these, you know, I was like, oh, I'm around, you're around, all, kids I was about to say, you're time. around all these locker rooms. And all that <laughs> How stuff. do I not have the flu? I was just with, you know, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and just uh, do this real quick. So, yeah, uh, get so, uh, yeah uh anyway I'll, I'll i'll give a little bit of hint on this uh we got a pretty big story dropping this week from you yeah. uh something you've been working really hard on i've read it once i'm gonna read it again uh to give some give some feedback on it uh tepper and will have already read through it so we have some pretty cool so that's all i want to hint on it just because uh we want you guys to read it and i'll also say this if this does good please read it because this will kind of guide our editorial mind as far as future projects like this so um yeah check it up it'll be definitely by wednesday um it should be up on wednesday yeah there you go tuesday morning uh it'll be up on texthoba.com we'll pump it out a bunch and yeah hopefully you guys enjoy it with that being said we've interviewed 12 of the eventual 13 fbs head coaches in the state shout out sam houston state and as always go ruckers jimbo fisher give us a call please